It's a real delight and honor being part of this Marketplace Summit. When I see the dedication of the Asbury leadership and student body and your lineup of speakers and innovative ideas, I'm really humbled to get to be a part of this family moment. Thank you, Dr. J. Moon, and for the whole team. I have never been treated better and more hospitably than by this family. And with your permission, I'm becoming an honorary member. Um, but with the help of scripture, weren't those readings compelling? And I just want to warn you ahead of time, you've heard the best part of the message already, which is the reading of God's word. But with the help of scripture and the power of the Holy Spirit, I hope we can be encouraged together. We stand together in a legacy of integration embodied in the labor of the Wesleys, the Methodist pioneers, and other biblically-minded believers who have laid the foundations for all that we enjoy. A profound tapestry of grace and holiness, personal and social ethics, evangelistic fervor, and entrepreneurial effort is our inheritance. And you add to this picture an eschatological hope and John Wesley's great phrase that he believed God for providential increases in kingdom influence before the Lord returned, and an ecumenical ethos welcoming all gospel-centered women and men at a table of fellowship and a yoke of mission. I want to share about compassion at capacity. And I'm going to use the words back and forth. You might hear capacity first and then compassion. You know, one day I was chatting with a fellow academic about the economy and money, our schools. Uh, can I just let you in on a secret? Every faculty member wants more money. But my colleague started to rant about capitalist greed, the impersonal nature of economics, the need for more compassion and generosity. And when he caught his breath and mopped his brow, I said, what name is on that building? And he goes, well, the school named it after some donor. What's your point? He then went on, talked about the capricious and competitive atmosphere of the business world, and was so glad that he didn't have to compromise his calling. And then he told me about a sabbatical grant he was hoping to get to write his next book. As I listened, I realized my friend needed an Econ 101 lesson. And so I asked him, where did the foundation money come from? Once again, he mentioned a famous business family and sarcastically commented that their wealth was finally being put to good use. Finally, he gave me my opening. What is your point, Charlie? I said, you know, at some point, someone risked, sacrificed, built an enterprise that did well enough that there was something left over to build the building you enjoy every day. And every job created by this business sustained not only one family, but many others. As, as an employee in her household, buy goods and invest and participate in the local and global economy. Your call against greed and materialism is absolutely right. The necessity of greater compassion is a prophetic word from the Lord. But someone has to risk, be productive, win a few customers in order to have the capacity to sustain compassion. My friend paused and admitted that he was predisposed against business because his father had been laid off when a factory was closed. And all his life he felt the inferior status of not having much compared to others around him. 
When he grew older and read the writings of anti-business leaders, his raw emotions found refined language and became ossified into a suspicion of economics and corporations. Capacity without compassion is selfish. But compassion without capacity is fruitless. And the Bible weaves these together. And can I just confess to you, I'm so happy I don't have to make any of this up. I don't have to eisegete a biblical text for all of, the, all of you exegetes in the crowd. The texts we're looking at today and from Matthew 25 are part of a final discourse in this amazing gospel as the texts call us toward capacity and compassion. You see, God's work in Christ, His delivering, healing, forgiving, reconciling work takes place primarily through people who spend their waking hours working. Understanding a tapestry of faith and work and economic wisdom for the glory of God and the good of others is more than a nice add-on to our religious life or an instrumental means to a sacred end. We are enjoying today the Gospel of Emmanuel. Chapters 1 and 28 provide interesting bookends. In Dale Bruner's words, we, we meet our Lord as Emmanuel, the with us God. And at the end of the book, as we're given the commission to make disciples, the same Emmanuel says, I will be with you always to the end of the age. Our incarnate Lord is our partner in mission. You see, fulfilling the Great Commission through making disciples shaped by the Great Commandment is why we're here today. We need to integrate mission and marketplace as a sign of awakening as we recover gospel seamlessness for all of life. The woven life is being constantly torn asunder by cultural, ideological, political, and religious conflict of course, you're aware that all is harmony and light in the American public square. That's a brief moment to pause and chuckle. But the good news is that Christ and his callings, a biblical idea of capacity and compassion, is a fruitful way forward for neighborhoods and for nations. Now, the other bookends in Matthew, as we get ready to look at 25 in detail, are the Sermon on the Mount, and this final discourse of chapters 23 to 25. In the opening discourse that Matthew records, we find the great Beatitudes. And in the final discourse, we find the woes. We find the ethics that are more than ceremonial conformity. A call to integrity and fruitfulness. And then in both of these great sermons, we find promises and warnings that do surgery on our soul. So chapters 23 and 24 build up to these three parables that we've heard portions of today. In chapter 23, the ethics of the kingdom are exposed and the judgment that awaits religious leaders that fail to integrate belief and behavior, image and integrity. Too many leaders today love human applause more than divine approbation. My friend Tom Nelson says there's too many pastors love the green room more than the prayer room. Matthew 24, I hope it's a favorite text of yours. The gospel shall be preached to all nations and the end shall come. 
There's an urgency and a partnership and an excitement that making disciples and reaching all nations, the ones that have come to us as diaspora communities and the ones we will go to as cross-cultural missionaries, that it's part and parcel of God's plan for the ages. And yet, our capacity and compassion are woven into this commission. Now, chapter 25 that we've read is, is I think, often too narrowly read by well-meaning believers. The parable of the ten virgins, on that I have an old Sunday night song, give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning. The parable of the ten virgins is so often so narrowly read as are you ready for the Lord's return, and that's a part of it. But wait, there's more. At the end of the chapter, our more progressive friends see it all comes down to loving the poor. You're a sheep or you're a goat, or you're a goat if you love the poor, the vulnerable, the needy. And that is absolutely part of it. And then the middle parable. Well, that's great. You know, whatever gifts God gives you, use them. Don't bury your talents. And we sort of spiritualize it, and then we go about everyday life. I'd like to suggest to you that there's so much more here as we try to be people of deep compassion and increasing capacity. So the ten virgins is rich with imagery of readiness to meet the bridegroom. Weddings were a big deal. Torah studies could be suspended as this processional went by from the bride's home to the groom's home. The bridesmaids, who are the virgins here, the the peers of this new bride, are carrying burning torches that require much oil to keep alight. And it's a celebration and a processional Often the groom would send messengers and announce, I'm I'm coming soon, I'm coming soon, I'll open the door, I'm I'm coming soon, I'm delayed. By the way, the the groom was doing some last-minute negotiations. Come on, smile, over the dowry. But the fact of the matter was, this was a key event. The virgins here are containing torches sustained by the oil, illuminating the pathway to the groom. The failure of the five placed the entire procession in jeopardy. I had one person say, well, weren't those five wise ones selfish to not share? If they had shared their oil, the danger was all the torches would go out and the entire procession would fail. What do we learn? That capacity and compassion involve planning, preparation, and that no one can displace the individual responsibility that a disciple has to illuminate and prepare the way of the Lord as part of a procession with the fellow believers. The lack or presence of the full amount of oil signifies capacity and thoughtfulness that either places the mission in danger or empowers its fulfillment. The foolish virgins insulted the wedding party, the entire community, and imperiled the processional. Don't worry, it gets encouraging. Hold on. The third parable, the sheep and the goats, is also in this context of mission and faithfulness. Now, its first application, if we study it carefully, is to receive God's messengers who have been imprisoned and persecuted and gone through a serious baptism of suffering. Are we ashamed of the cost of following Jesus? Will we identify with the broken and vulnerable that follow our Lord into this baptism of suffering? Now, we can extend the application beyond gospel messengers. 
And there's good biblical theological roots to understand that from the Torah to the wisdom traditions, from the prophets to the Gospels, embedded in the mission of the church, including St. Paul's journeys, is concern for the poor and advocacy for justice. In fact, in the Old Testament prophets, there was a seamless integration of idolatry, immorality, and injustice in the call for repentance. And when we encounter the vulnerable, we meet our Lord in one of his distressing disguises. You see, compassion is more than benevolent feelings. It is an identification with the dignity and suffering of others, but includes the capacity to do something about that suffering. Well, so far, we see a call to preparation. By the way, planning and preparation are just as spiritual as spontaneous trust. One day we were in a strategic planning meeting. Do those words send chills down some of your spines? And um, we were talking about the future of the institution and the planning and the preparation, and one of our missionaries stood up. I love missionaries. Can we thank God for missionaries? And he said, what about faith? Let's just step out and trust God for what we need along the way. And can we agree, sometimes God asks us to do that. This wise strategic planner stood up. Luke chapter 14 tells us it's okay to count the cost ahead of time and prepare well. I want to let that sink in for a moment because there will be times in our journey that we step out and trust along the way. And then there will be times God calls us by his spirit to plan and prepare well. Well, one of the things as we participate in God's work in the world, as we fulfill the great commission in making disciples that love God and love their neighbor, is that we can forget that one of the key ways we love our neighbor is the work that we do all day. But the middle parable puts this into focus. Let me state this really clearly. Our master expects a return on his investment, and failure to even try disqualifies us from divine approval and reveals a vacuous faith. One day I was sharing in a chapel service in our seminary about value creation, wealth creation, stewardship. I was all excited, and you can tell I'm kind of shy and unassuming. And when I shared that Jesus expected a good ROI, a good return on investment, a a well-known psychologist from another seminary stood up and said, how dare you impose business terms on the Bible? Your imposition of worldliness into the sacred text. I said, well, the problem is it's right there in Matthew 25. The Bible is replete with insights for ethical entrepreneurship, wealth creation, generosity to the poor. All the biblical authors speak of economic justice and vitality, the goodness of diligence, and the realities of systemic oppression. You're going to have the honor of hearing from Pastor Chris Brooks, and I want to honor a phrase that I've made my own. The Bible confronts not only our individual iniquity, but institutional injustice as well. That said... The condemnation of greed and materialism is also balanced with the promotion of flourishing and generosity. I want you to notice in what we heard read this morning that the master gives varying resources knowing the particularities of each servant. Now don't start sitting here and saying, am I a one, two, or a five? The differences are not about personal worth. 
but rather the diverse contexts and capacities and expectations of each person. I want you to notice how good the master is in giving the resources the servant must invest. Now this is a parable, so the return to the master isn't only about money. I want you to think about this with me. What has the master given us? Think about one, two, five, regardless of number. What's he? Well, he's given us natural and spiritual gifts, hasn't he? By the way, don't separate those too much. Can you thank God that he gave you abilities? And we thank God for the spontaneous moments of giftedness and for the charisms of Romans 12 and for the various responsibilities of Ephesians and Timothy. God gives us all these gifts. He gives us relational networks. He gives us specific vocational and occupational opportunities. I want to take a little sidetrack with you for two minutes. Remember that the, we are always more than our current job description. That's our occupation. But it's precisely our daily work where our vocations work themselves out. Our call to the kingdom, our call to singleness and marriage, our specific sense of calling to the good works God's designed for us, all that takes place in our daily work. And there should be no daily work that we despise. He's given us placement in culture, in history, in location. I don't have a good Brooklyn accent, but can I just say it? What a deal. He gives us everything we need, the power of the Holy Spirit to put it to use, and then what did the servant say? Master, your five have made five more. Now Jay, when, we're done, when I'm done, Jay's going to give me a million dollars, and I'm going to go put it to use. He's going to give me a cashier's check for a million dollars. I'm going to go put it to use. It's going to make some money. I'm going to invest it different places. Now, let's, let's be honest. Where is the praise going to go when I come back and it's two million dollars in a few years? My ability to sign my signature and get some good expert help, what am I going to be doing? And I'm going to be praising my benefactor, aren't I? And I'm going to say, look, Jay, your million has made another million. <laughs> Amen. I share that because the glory goes to him and yet we are active participants and partners in this. What a deal. God opens the doors, empowers us by the Spirit. Are we prepared and preparing the way for the bridegroom? Are we ready for compassion and generosity? The proof of oil in our lamp and the resources for compassion arise from reaching our capacity and investing God's resources for others. The fearful servant allowed fear to displace faith and the paralysis of paranoia to render him fruitless. The others went to work with what they had and watched God give an increase. Now, concomitant with Matthew's text is John chapter 15. Faithfulness, Jesus says, is fruitfulness. Abide in me, help me out, and you will bear much fruit. I like that word, much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so as we obey his love command, I want to repeat it again, one of the great ways we love our neighbor is the work we do every day. Now, that love command we often interpret as loving the people we don't like and going across cultural boundaries, and that's all included. The parable of the Good Samaritan is proof 
that my neighbor is anyone and everyone I encounter, however different they are from me. And can we thank God for Miroslav Volf's great words that there's no other in the kingdom, but we can embrace all who are on their journey toward Christ. It is wonderful to go across all the barriers of gender, class, race, culture, religious background. But on a daily basis, loving my neighbor has to do with whether I'm taking the master's investment and employing it in my everyday work. And so it's vital that we begin to see it. Full participation in God's mission, preparing for our Lord's return, hospitality for the vulnerable. This generosity, this sacrifice, requires capacity and compassion. And I want to finish this morning with seven wisdom principles that, that are from this text and from other texts as we ask the question, how do we become people of greater compassion and capacity? Number one, discipleship and mission are inseparable. And every dimension of life belongs to the Lordship of Christ. Spiritual formation includes our healthy emotions and good relationships. I used to avoid reading 1 John because he said you can't love God and hate your brother. And if I was mad at somebody, I thought I wasn't a Christian. But you know, I don't avoid 1 John, but I don't let my mad stay very long because I've got to come to this table soon. But you know what? John said, don't just love in word or tongue, but in deed and truth. Every part of our lives, but our vocational and occupational lives are as spiritual as our private prayer life. Number two, capacities, context will vary, but all of us can add value to our world. By the way, adding value is not just money. Volunteering, parenting, grandparenting, adopting, serving, seen and unseen work, leadership and labor. You see, wealth creation, wonderful as it is, is a subset of value creation. Number three, kingdom entrepreneurship that fosters wealth creation is vital for the common good and the advancement of the gospel. There was a Silicon Valley mayor. I grew up in the San Jose area of California, watched it go from orchards to silicon chips in my lifetime. But one of the mayors locally worked hard to keep a high-tech company in town with 1,000 jobs. Five years later, 5,000 more jobs had been created because those 1,000 were kept. Entrepreneurship that creates wealth and opportunity, the provision of a job is a social good. All of us have jobs, and somebody created them, and perhaps you will become one of those creators. Number four, in the words of Francis Schaeffer, there are no little people in God's service, only different callings and capacities. Romans 12, 1 and 2 ends religion as usual as we offer our whole being a living sacrifice. Colossians 3, 17 and following, whatever you do in word or deed. I love Tom Landis' work down in Texas and his many restaurants. He, he employs women and men with down as cashiers and hospitality hosts. And he employs women and men on the autistic spectrum as food preps and chefs. He says, I'm not running a charity. These are amazing people that wouldn't otherwise even be seen. And they love their work. Whether it's an intercessor whose body is frail, but whose prayers are heard, 
whether it's a venture capitalist who spoke to me one day, one day with tears in his eyes, and he said, Charlie, you preach to a thousand and it matters. I make a decision and a thousand people have or don't have a job. Who's doing God's work? And with tears, he said, I aim to do God's work in all that I do. Number five, leaders, we have to make disciples that are vocationally stable and occupationally nimble. We need a half a million more truckers in America now, and in 20 years, most of those jobs will be gone. How many of you know we need believers who are able to know their calling and place and ability and move with the times? Number six, evangelistic impact is inseparable from incarnational apologetics. The way our light shines and the way we shine as stars, Philippians says, and the way people will glorify God is how we carry out our work every single day. I believe good work is part of God's prevenient grace, drawing people toward a saving encounter with our Lord. I worked at a Silicon Valley job during my um, seminary days, and the church had financial problems, so I took another job, and within two weeks, they named my cubicle the confessional when they found out I was... Reverend Charlie. But what gave me permission to speak was doing my job well. And finally, kingdom capacity and compassion liberate us from the polarizing, hyper-libertarian or hyper-Marxist ideologies that threaten to take over kingdom life. Donald Blush was right that ideology is the enemy of theology. And a kingdom perspective of integration of public and private, personal and social, individual and institutional, this integration of capacity and compassion will keep us from being captive to the public square that wants to engulf us. In an African village ravaged by natural disaster and war, a few seeds, a goat, and much prayer changed the village. In West Virginian towns right now, artisanship is beginning to thrive again with access to national and global markets. Struggling churches are creating community gardens and incubating businesses. In Mason, Ohio, a local church has a wonderful counseling service. Do we have a few counselors here? Thank you. I have needed your services. And they have business incubators. When compassion unites with capacity, Flourishing happens beyond our expectations. If an early church with few choices as to their work and location could turn the world upside down, how much more can we impact neighborhoods and nations as we allow the Spirit to transform our character, mature us in our charisms, and increase our capacity, allowing us to demonstrate the hands and feet of Jesus? Would you bow your heads in prayer with me, please? Our gracious and loving Father, we're so grateful that you are the almighty creator and you're also the one we cry Abba to. I ask that your infinite power and intimate love would be known to us as we seek to honor you today. Lord Jesus, I thank you and praise you that you are the King of kings and you are delighted to call us sisters and brothers. Help us walk with you in a yoked partnership of the unforced rhythms of grace. And sovereign spirit of God, your breath animates the universe, raised Jesus from the dead, and lives in our jars of clay. Give us wisdom for all our works, from private prayer to public expression. 
And we promise that you'll receive all the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Would you stand as we join with the worship team and continue to worship our Lord?